You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey everybody, it's Wednesday night. Time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How's everybody doing? I am back. Hope everybody had a great Halloween. I watched Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein for the first time since I was like, I don't know, maybe 10. And uh, it was a great, great thing to watch and then i did absolutely nothing that was all i, did. I ate a bunch of candy and i went and saw my parents so uh no no crazy halloween for for alex but uh, that's okay uh, i'm back now my guest tonight uh joining us from 101 wraf detroit's rock station jade how Hello. are you i'm good how are you i'm good thanks for coming on absolutely um so uh before we get into the interview i, I wanted uh just tell everybody, uh, we used to bag groceries together at Farmer Jack way back <laughs> yes. in 2002. Yeah. So, God, way back. Yeah. So that's, and I can't, I, I was never like, I mean, we were acquainted with each other. Right. We never really like talked or anything, but, uh, but I remember I left that job in the summer of 2003 and I was like, and then, I mean, like it was a good 10, you know, a decade later, all of a sudden I'm looking at WRF's website and there's one of my coworkers on yeah. there. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord! So, so uh, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Um, and uh, we'll we'll uh, we always start these interviews with the uh, the exact same question. And that question is, where were you born? Uh, Southfield, Michigan, Providence Hospital. All righty. Uh, and did you grow up in Southfield? No, no. Um, my parents built a house in like the outskirts of South Lyon. Like I don't know, within two years of me being born. So, uh, grew up in South Lyon, out in the sticks. Six mile out there in the middle of nowhere, dirt roads, and you must have been there. part of the first wave of people that came out there then, because that was—I mean—that would have been because you're, oh, you're yeah. younger than me, so that yeah. would have been like early, early. 90s. I remember when, uh, like, Eight Mile and Pontiac Trail, which for you know, if you know South Lyon, then you know the area. But now it's like real congested. There's that Kroger there, but when I was young, it was like a farmers market. There was like a field. There was nothing there. And so, um, yeah, one horse town, good old South Lion, mm-hmm. good old South Lion. So you, Farmer Jack, which doesn't exist anymore. No, it's a it's a bushes now. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and actually, I remember before, when I first moved there because I moved there in '94. It was a Showerman's, which is like yeah, Showerman's IGA and yeah. Arbor Drugs was right next door, which uh, went to a dollar store and like 14 other things, I think. And yeah. Big Boy, I'm not real sure, but I think South Lion's up and coming. I don't. I don't frequent South Lyon anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, nah, not a whole lot. <laughs> it's uh, it's I haven't. I mean, I still go to see my parents. It's it's crowded yeah. now. Um, I don't even think I don't think there's anything next to Bushes. If if there's, I can't remember what it is. If there's anything. No, there, remember so. they had that teen club there for a hot minute. They did. Yeah, that was when we were <laughs> yeah. in high school. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah, shortly after. Yeah, we were too old to be at the teen club we were and i think uh i don't think anybody went there i think that it was open maybe a week and that was uh yeah i don't think it. it lasted very long so anyway um so uh <laughs> what uh, what kind of a student were you uh i mean i guess uh for the first couple of years in high school i was on the honor roll uh middle school i was always on the honor roll and then um i don't know 11th grade hit 12th grade hit and i kind of was like None of this matters, man. Like, who cares? And so, um, I mean, I still did well. I passed. I didn't, uh, I failed one class, I think, by choice because I just didn't show up and didn't care. Just wanted to see what it was like. Uh, <laughs> well, I didn't need it. Like, I didn't, I had enough credits and I didn't need it to graduate. My best friends were in the class and we goofed around a whole lot. But uh, for the most part, I was a good student. So, okay. What were you into as a kid? Like, what was your childhood like? Um, oh God, I played sports. I was like always an athlete. So as a kid, uh, growing up, I was a figure skater. 
So I did that for uh, years, years and years from the age of like seven to probably about 14 uh, competitively. So I used to skate actually when we were in middle school. Well, you're a couple years older than me, but uh, in sixth grade, I would skate at four in the morning and then go to school and then go back to the rink afterwards. And oh my then, God. yeah, like right around um, eighth grade, it, it, I had like multiple coaches and it turned into this like, uh, like we're either like we're taking you out of school and this is your competitive figure skater and we're going to regionals in Louisiana and we're doing all of this or, you know, you're not. You got to kind of <laughs> choose. And I played softball like I played softball. I used to play t-ball with the boys when I was like five because there wasn't a like a girl's t-ball thing. And um, yeah, I was in eighth grade and I was like, no, I want to be with my friends. Like I don't want to give up my life to to be at the rink and do all of that sort of stuff. And so I quit figure skating. And now I'm like a huge Olympics enthusiast. Hmm. Like I love the Olympics. And now, um, especially the Winter Olympics, I always like kick myself. I'm like, man, I could have been me. Could have well, been me, which is so rare. <laughs> and it probably couldn't have been. But in my head, I was like, damn, like I shouldn't have given that up. Well, did, was there like a, a possibility that you were going to be – I mean training like that, they're kind. it's like they're prepping you for like we're, we're going to give you a shot at this sort of thing. Yeah. Know? I mean I had um, – I was competitive. Like we drove all over. We drove to Ohio and there was competitions in other states and um, it's a lot of money. And so um, I think they looked at me as a possible prospect, but it was one of those things where like you have to dedicate your time to it. It was, you know, six days a week at the rink and you're there in the morning, you're there at night, multiple practices. I did synchronized skating, like the whole, the whole deal. And, um, but at 14 years old, you know, you make that choice. Like I don't, I want a social life. I want a social life. I want to hang out with my friends. And I loved playing softball and I had to give that up. And um, and I still, to this day, actually, I still play softball in the summer. But there's always that part of me that's like, oh, I made it. No. Yeah. And that's so, it's so rare. It's, so, to, it's like a pipe dream. But I do love the Olympics. And I don't know. Maybe it could have happened. I don't know. I do radio now, so I love it. <laughs> maybe you could eventually like announce for the Olympics. Maybe that's the perfect way to – That was uh... my other thing. I was like that's uh, – I told my bosses at work uh, because I started becoming obsessed with the Olympics probably about six years ago or so. And I told my boss that like I want to broadcast like from the Olympics. And he was like, OK, yeah, we'll send you out there. We'll send you to Tokyo. We'll see what happens. Uh-huh. Drop you off with no equipment and see how you fare. So maybe one day. We'll see. <laughs> I hope. Um. Yeah, I remember uh, – and forgive me for bringing this guy up, but uh, David Foster Wallace, the author, he uh, he played tennis as a kid. Yeah. And he said once, he said, you know, because he was about your age, when, uh, the age that you were when you stopped doing it too, and he kind of like fell off the, the competitiveness of it. Right. And he was like the difference between – you know, kids that decide they want to do it and kids that are just doing it for fun or whatever is like, he said, he compared it to uh, the way that monks like sort of live their lives. It's like, you don't date, you, you, uh, right. you train, you know, 12 hours a day and that's, that's where the difference is made. So yeah, it's pretty interesting that, uh, and good for you for making that choice and like being self-aware enough to know, like, this is not what I want to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just, um, and I'm, I'm, I've always been like an athlete. Like I love sports. I like watching sports and playing them, but it was so much like, you know, it, it, in sixth grade, you're, what, 11 years old? Mm-hmm. And so to be at the rink, like, you're up at 3 a.m., you're at the rink by 4, school starts at, you know, what, 7, 7.30 or whatever, like, it's a whole deal. And then as soon as you're done with school, you go back. And I was being pulled out of school to go to competitions in Port Huron or Ohio or wherever. And um, That's a grind. It is. It is. Too. It is for a kid. And, and that was the thing is it wasn't my only thing. Like, I wanted to you know, I wanted to play other sports and I wanted to hang out with my friends. And so, um, 
and I think my parents wanted me to, but at the same time, it is an expensive sport. Mm-hmm. Ice time, costumes, skates, blades, the whole thing. And so they were like, whatever you want to do, just don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I uh, succeeded in that part. So well, I'm uh, good with that. What did your What did your parents do then for a living? Uh, so my dad works for Michigan Cat. He's worked there for uh, 20, 25 years. He's a welder. So, um, you know, he's a blue collar worker, works very hard, uh, appreciate him for everything that he's done. Uh, my mom growing up was a stay at home mom and now she uh, works in an office doing medical billing. And so um, they live their happy little quiet life in South Lyon. And I come by and say hello every now and again. And they text me they don't ever call which is weird probably because i yelled at my mom for leaving me voicemails i was like ma i saw you called just like, text you don't, me. just yeah, yeah like you don't need to like you don't need to leave just a voice i'll call you back yeah and so um so yeah they worked uh like i said my dad worked very hard to keep me and my brother uh active and out of you know trouble and all that sort of stuff so they're good people and i remember your brother because he worked with us as well yes. uh, what's he up to these days uh so he is a software engineer um he works for a company that i do not know the name of and i don't know exactly what he does but i know he works with computer programs he was super into that sort of stuff uh just growing up like loved video games loved all of that and so um so he made a career out of it he went to school to be do the the ITT or whatever um, and has like a really great job and has a really great wife and lives a happy life out there in Whitmore Lake and he's doing his thing rides a motorcycle so yeah he's doing well he's Good doing well Good thank you hear. yeah um, so let's get into uh, radio then so when did yeah. you first uh, develop an interest in that um, I, I don't know I don't really know I guess how to describe an interest in radio specifically um, after we graduated high school, uh, most of my friends moved away and my parents were really like, um, we're not going to send you to a university to blow money and have you not know what you want to do. Um, Smart. do you remember when we were in high school? Cause you went to South Lion High, right? I did, yep. Okay. So we had the TV production class. Yeah. Mrs. Fike. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I had taken all those prerequisites. I took speech probably like multiple times. I took it in college multiple pli- uh, times. And uh, I did the TV production stuff in high school, loved it, just loved all of it. I've always been a performer. I've always wanted to be in on stage and in front of the camera and doing all that sort of stuff. So in high school, I had taken that class, uh, was going to go to uh, community college, um, didn't really have a direction, though, didn't really care. I had to, I was working at Farmer Jack still, working at a Max and Irma's, was making my own money, doing my own thing. But I knew kind of like communications, like some sort of communications. And then, um, do you remember Vitaly? Uh, Vitaly Peeker. M- uh, Vitaly. Vita- he worked Vitaly Peeker. He worked at Farmer Jack with us. Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So weird story. So he had had a house party. This was after um, after I graduated high school, still working at Farmer Jack. He had had a house party. I had gone. And I had met two like random dudes, one who worked uh, for Greater Media at the time, Riff, CSX, and Magic, and then another guy who worked up in Flint at a couple of radio stations there. And I started talking to them. Uh, we were playing beer pong in the basement, and um, they were like, "You know, what are you what are you doing? Like, what do you like? What do you go to school for?" And I was like, "Communications." I'm not really sure. And they were like, "You should get an internship at one of the radio stations." And they gave me. Um, the promotions like director's email, like, hey, email him, tell him you met me, get an internship, 
and see what happens. And so I was like, awesome, like radio, how cool. And um, emailed him, got an internship, uh, stepped foot into the building. Uh, it was May of 2007 when I started interning uh, and knew. Like as soon as I walked foot in there, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> like I'm going to be on the radio. That's going to happen. I'm going to make a career out of this. And um, and that's – And there you go. Yeah, that's where it started. And then it's uh, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, a lot of uh, – living in South Lyon and where the radio station is located, it's not close. I mean it's not right. super far. But if you're working late and then you've got an early gig – like I used to sleep at the station. I spent all my time there, made friends with everybody that was there and and – it was. I was like, "This is happening. I'm doing this." So, and specifically at the Rift too. You're like, "I want to work here, like not just any radio station. Like, I want to do it." I here. think that originally, because uh, when you're an intern, you know, you're just there, kind of. Uh, you get an opportunity to, especially back then, the internships were a little bit different. They gave you opportunities to be in the studio. So, um, like the initial intern meeting was like, "Hey, you have a chance to." Um, Pam Rossi, who did, uh, at the time she had done Over Easy, which was Saturday and Sunday mornings. Uh, she needs an intern to help her, like, pull songs. It's a, you know, completely, she programs the show completely herself. You know, anyone who wants to do that, sign up. And I was like, I want to be in the studio so bad. So, um, I started doing that. Um, but initially I got hired to do promotions, which is just going out and setting up. And so I guess it was uh, – I wanted to be on the radio. At that point, I didn't really care where it was. I just needed to get a, like full – like hired in, um, foot in the door, and then figure it out from there. So I got hired on the promo team, worked for all three stations, and then um, really zeroed in on my boss, who is my current boss now, and I love him to death. Mm-hmm. He's like one of my best friends. But um, yeah, for like a year, I was at his door like, listen, Mark, uh, I love working here. I love promotions, but I really want to be on the air. Like I – if something opens up, let me know. You need someone. You just need someone to sit in there and press the buttons. I will do it. Whatever you need. Um, I did that for probably about a year. And then someone had quit. And the next day I was like, heard that bro quit. Hook me up. <laughs> and he was like, well, okay, you've you've been here. You won't go away. Been so persistent, yeah. Yeah. And so they gave me an opportunity. And from that, it just kind of grew from overnight shifts to weekend shifts to fill-in shifts. And now I'm the the music director. Uh, I work there Monday through Friday. I'm on the air on Saturdays, and um, it's awesome. It's what, been a wild decade. What is the uh, the music director exactly? What do you, what do you do with that? So um, basically, it's uh, I deal a lot with like the record labels, like all the new music. So uh, obviously, there's thousands of songs out there that they want the radio stations to play. Um, so I talk to them throughout the day. They call me. They send me stats like this is why you should play the song. This is what's going on. They're coming to town. We can set up this. Um, so I help set up meet and greets and promotional events um, directly dealing with like the record labels. But it's also kind of like uh, changed, I guess, um, because it's 2018. So everything is digital. Everything's online. So I run our social media. Um, I write promo copy. um, I program our HD station, which is uh, alternative. It's like a little bit different than Riff and um, help anybody out when they need help. Like, hey, this computer's not working. Hey, I need help with this. Hey, something went down. Uh, we have events that go on. So we've got a band coming in that's doing an acoustic thing on uh, Friday. So help. Uh, Bad Flower. Bad Flower, yes, of course. And Rival Sons just did one too, right? Yeah, yep. yeah. So um, I get to work directly with those uh, record label reps and help you know, break bands and share their music and 
promote them, which is awesome. I, I want to get a little off topic from your specific story here just because I, I want to ask you this. Are there any bands that are up and coming right now that maybe we haven't heard of that you think are going to blow up in the next couple, of, like next year, we'll say? Uh, I don't know. We're on the wave right now of Greta Van Fleet, who, yeah. um, of course, are fantastic. Those guys are great. Um, and they're so young and talented. So they've got a long ways to go. Um, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I guess I can't think of anyone specifically. Bad Flower right now is they're on the wave going up. Uh, you know, they were basically specifically asked to open up for a perfect circle Friday oh, night. Which I'm going to be there. I didn't realize they were opening for them. Sweet. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. They're so. workhorses, man. They've been around for a while. Like they've been on doing, you know, rock on the range. And I've seen them yeah. like every rock festival that there is for like the past like five years, I want to say. Yeah. So. Yeah. So those guys are, they're great. Um, the Glorious Sons is another band. They're from Canada. Love um, them. Yep. Yeah. They're, uh, they're, they're workhorses as well. And, and they've got a lot going for them. So rock is certainly not dead. No, no. Thank God. No. Yeah. It's so funny because Greta Van Fleet, you know, they keep getting brought up on this show. And I first heard of them last, not this past summer, summer 2017. Yeah. And then just seeing them blow up. I've never, I haven't witnessed that for a rock band in my adult life. You know right. what I mean? Like where it's just, you see them catch the wave and they just go you yeah. know, up and up and up and up and up. And uh, my friend who is a huge Led Zeppelin fan absolutely is obsessed with them now. And he went and saw them uh, with the Glorious Sons at like this tiny venue yes, in Cleveland. Yes, they opened up. Yeah. For the Glorious Sons, yes. which is wild. Yeah, that was a, a, a little over a year ago now. And yeah. now they're, they just, they played the Fox, you know? So. Yeah, and they're doing, uh, they've got three sold out shows. They played, they did three uh, Fillmore shows back in May. Oh, right. And now they're doing the Fox uh, in December, three shows. Oh, and that's, so. that hasn't happened yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. but they sold out and um, good for them. I mean, yeah. and good for keeping rock and roll what it is because that's. We that's need it. We need we, it. That's as a culture. what we thrive on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so back to you. Uh, so you kind of gave us the story of how you went from like you started off interning at the in t- 2007 and then just through basically just being persistent and always being involved and making your your uh, interests known. You finally got your shot. So what was the first day like when you were on the air for the first time? Oh, like, my God. Let me tell you about the first time I was ever on the air at Riff. Um, cause I actually, I had gone to central Michigan university and so I had done their radio program. I did their, they had a radio studio. It was, uh, all of mid Michigan. So it was actually a decently sized, uh, radio station, uh, which was awesome. So that was really my first ever being on the air was up at CMU in, in mid Michigan. But my first ever shift on the riff, it was a one hour air shift Sunday night from eight to 9 PM. Um, and, uh, Basically, it was like a fill-in shift before we ran uh, a couple other shows that we we had on Sunday nights. And um, my boss had said, like, listen, keep it short. Don't do anything fancy. Just in and out of music. Okay. So uh, when you look at, like, the computer system, like, everything with the music, like, it's all the info that you need. So it's, like, song title, band name. Uh, here's how much intro time you have before the singer starts singing. This is how long the song is. This is how it ends. If it's a cold end, a sustain, whatever. So I was going into uh, Nickelback Rockstar, mm-hmm. which is a four-second intro. And um, I don't even know. I don't know what I was going to say, but I got so excited. And so I potted up the mic. And I said, as soon as I potted up the mic, I I hit the song without really like thinking about it. And I got out. 101 WRIF. 
and then I potted it down because he started singing. I had four <laughs> seconds. So my very first ever break on the riff was me saying 101 WRIF and that was that. But like that's – that makes sense though. You know what I mean? Like yeah. If you have to have the first words. <laughs> at least it's something as practical as the radio station that you work for. Yeah. Right? At you least know? it wasn't like I was cut off like halfway through a sentence or whatever. But I just got so excited that I was – you know, I was finally going to be on the air and I – Potted up 101 WRF and hit the song and I was like, why did I hit the song so quickly? But I did and um and I wish that I would have recorded that and like saved it. But in my head, it was like the funny because I remember taking the headphones off and being like, okay, well, all right, that was it. That was the first break. Those I guess are my we'll, first words. Yeah, yeah, we'll move on from there, I suppose. So, so I have to ask, like, do you remember what your words at like your first full sentence was or like what you you know? No, I no. couldn't even. I have no idea. I just remember that like so distinctly. Um, although I've had some other moments where I've said some things like we do a show on Saturdays, the Mark and Andy show. And um, like right when we started, we've been doing it for probably about five years now. And um, it was like one of our first shows. And, you know, you're kind of feeling it out. We'd never done a show together. Uh, Mark is my boss. Andy's, you know, on the, on the morning show. Um, we work very closely together. But, you know, doing a show is it's different when you're live and you're live on the air and everyone's trying to talk and you got to kind of feel each other out. And I don't know, I went rogue. I went rogue on some story and was talking about like first aid or something. And they both looked at me like, where is this? Where are you going? Like, where are you going with this? Like, where is this coming from? And what are you saying? And I, I literally stopped and I was like, I have no idea. And we still laugh about <laughs> it to this day. They'll bring it up my, my rogue morning on the Mark and Andy show. So is that, that a weird one? Because uh, you said your boss's name is Mark. Is that yeah. your boss? And yeah. Is Andy the same Andy from uh, uh, Dave and Chuck? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. yes. Yeah. Good old Andy Green. Yeah. And we're uh, we're very close. Like we're all uh, not just coworkers but friends. And I love them dearly. So mm-hmm. uh, it's fun to be able to to do radio with, with people that you enjoy. And we have stories that we can tell from nights out at the bar or nights at a show or – weird things that happen in the hallway and well can you share some of those potentially without without uh, getting in trouble <laughs> yeah i mean i guess uh um, that was going to be my next question is do you have any stories because i mean the, the riff is fucking legendary like it is it is the detroit rock station drew and mike are on for you know they were the yeah. morning show dave and chuck are on now um you know you got meltdown you got ann carlini uh uh big daddy arthur p used to yeah. be on so it's it is you know that was what I grew up listening to, you know. Right. I started listening in high school and it really – it's just always been there. Um, so did you li- – first of all, we'll start with this. Did you start – like when did you start listening to the riff? Like when did you become aware of it? That would be the first thing I'd want to ask. Um, so growing up, I always listened to the radio. My brother and I – and he doesn't remember this, but I do. Like we used to play radio. Like we would play radio um, and he would always tell me – it's so funny because he would always tell me like, you know, you can talk over the intro of the songs because I would be like the radio DJ and he would be the one playing the music. And so, um, so I feel like it was always in me to, to eventually do this. Yeah, that's interesting because you that you you did have it in you. It wasn't just after high school that it, it, it you know. Yeah, it yeah, appeared, no, it right? was. Yeah, I always, um, we always, we always listen to the radio every morning. Um, usually, to be honest with you, my mom, when she was driving us to school, would listen to CSX, which is our sister station. So it was always Ken Calvert, uh, Karen Savelli, Steve Costan, who, of course, were all on the riff, uh, you know, prior to, to CSX kind of forming. And so those, uh, I always knew of the riff. Um, there were some people in high school that, that I hung out with that loved the riff. But I think for me, like, just because I was, I was raised listening to classic rock, 
um, I kind of defaulted to knowing more about CSX. Um, but I so I always listened to them. And then um, I've just my mom was a huge Led Zeppelin fan. She was always into rock and roll. And so through high school, I would listen to the riff. And then, um, you know, I, I was 19 when I started working there. So it was uh, I was always a channel searcher. Like I listened to all the stations. I remember listening to Jay Towers and Tic Tac uh Trixie Deluxe like uh just like legends as far as I'm concerned and so um yeah I don't know I I I guess when I really started honing in on the riff was probably when I started interning there uh and really like paying attention to like the differences between like the genres of rock music and grunge and classic rock and active rock and you know the chili peppers aren't exactly grunge but it was you know right around the era of the 90s and, and that sort of thing but they had a different sound and so um i don't know i've always been a big fan of music like i kind of live on music and all of it and i i'm a wedding dj on the side so <laughs> i listen to a lot of pop and a lot of motown and um just all of it is great <laughs> did you have any like when now that now that you're on air like do you have any like influences that you look to for people like, like people that you inspire you or whatever like uh um know? i mean all of my coworkers for sure um between Anne, screaming scott and meltdown um they're all they're legendary and i respect them so much and um you know mark my boss like he's He's a little bit more behind the scenes. He's only on the air on Saturdays, but um, just in general, like they just know so much. And uh, especially Ann Scott and Meltdown, between the three of them, they've been on the air for so long and uh, are so well respected. And to get to work with them is just uh, like there are days where I'm like, wow, this is my job. Like this is my job. Like I get to go in and tell them like, hey, this is what we're doing. Like you guys need to do this. This is what we have going on. Can I help you with anything? What do you need? And um, Ann especially um, as a woman – uh, she is, she's the queen, you know, she's the queen of rock and roll and I, I love her dearly and, uh, she's so talented and she's so, um, aware of everything and what you're talking about on the air and what is important to be entertaining to your listeners. And it's not just about like music and, uh, you know, because, uh, we, we do play some of the older stuff and Nirvana, for example, is never going to release a new album. Yes. Never going to happen. Yes. Right. Um, so, you know, when you're doing breaks, like you got to think about how can I engage with my audience? And we are Detroit. We are Detroit Rock City. And um, there's so many things that you can talk about, especially with the the boom of Detroit. And she's so talented at like crafting entertaining ways to quickly talk about things because you only have so much time. And that's kind of the the theory of radio is that. Unless you're being entertaining, people are turning it off. Mm -hmm. So you have to uh, really think about it. I mean, all of them are great. But like I said, Anne, um, as a woman and dealing with the industry and, um, you know, rock and roll and how wild things can get, um, she's she's like my radio mom. I love her. <laughs> I love her to death. Uh, what surprised you about this job when you started, like that you maybe weren't expecting? Um, I guess for me personally was um, – and it's not quick, but it is it is quick because I'm still pretty young. But um, how quickly I was kind of able to like climb climb the ladder and and get to where I'm at and do the things that I'm doing. Like I always knew, like I said, when I stepped foot in there, I want to be on the air. And then it was I want to be a music director or a program director, and that was early on. And it took about eight years, and I became the the music director of the Riff, and so now. 
Uh, I've been doing it for a couple of years, and um, I think a lot of people, like, don't understand. I guess not – it's not necessarily surprising to me, but what people don't understand is, like, the manpower that it takes to to put on acoustic performances and to put on these promotions and make these things happen to the listener. You want it to seem seamless, but there's a thousand things going on behind the scenes that, you know, this needs to be done and that needs to be done and – so it's just um, – and every day is different. You never know. And you can set up a schedule of – you know, we have five meet and greets set up at DTE for all of these bands. And, you know, I am very organized, so everything is printed out. Everything is the time. I've got tour managers, names. This is who I need to contact. And then you get there and there's a storm and everything gets delayed. Mm-hmm. And then you have to – okay, we need to readjust everything that we're doing. So it's very unpredictable. Um, but I guess I kind of thrive on that and I love that part of it. So – can you think of like a specific like time where like something like that happened where you had something scheduled and then the storm came up? Or yeah, it happened. Sort of? It's literally it happened uh, this past summer at DTE. It was, um, I believe, it was Five Finger Death Punch, uh, Breaking Benjamin, Bad Wolves, Nothing More. I want to say there was another band on that bill, but we had had a meet and greet set up with all of them, and uh, it was Labor Day weekend, and this wicked storm just rolled through, and they shut down everything. Like. And that wasn't like the bands did it. Like, no, DTE, the employees there were like, everything is at a halt. We are not doing anything. No meet and greets are happening. We had already brought all of our listeners backstage. The gates weren't open yet. And so they put us up in the pavilion and they were like, you need to sit here and just wait. And it was like, we're watching the clock like, okay, well, we should have done this meet and greet already. And we're pushing into the time of when this one's supposed to happen and they've got stuff to do, they've got VIP things that they need to take care of. And, um, but you just kind of like roll with it and, and getting stressed out isn't, uh, it certainly doesn't help. So, um, you just kind of be stay in contact. Like, Hey, this is where I'm at. Uh, we're at the end of the, the breaking Benjamin meet and greet. We'll be backstage momentarily at the end of your line. Uh, if there's any issues, contact me and it all ended up working out. But yeah, all of that, everything on that time schedule was just blown out. So, but it worked out. Um, what like artists or, or musicians stand out to you that that you've interviewed? And you know, I mean, you've been doing this you know for years now. Like, who stands out to you as like somebody that you 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 finished and you're like, that was a really good interview. I really enjoyed that. Oh man, so right. many interviews. When I first started doing interviews, it was a lot for our HD station, so it was a lot of smaller bands. Um, I got to interview Rob Zombie at uh, Rock on the Range a couple of years ago, and he could not have been nicer. Like, just, like, the nicest guy. Um, And it's funny because he does all those horror movies, and I'm terrified. Like, I don't watch scary movies ever. Um, And I had asked him, like, you know, how how do you conquer that fear? And basically his response was, just don't be a baby. Uh. And I was like, okay, well, that doesn't help me. And then he kind of went on to tell me that um, one of the guys, one of his crew members kind of felt the same way because it's like a mental thing like you just can't get over the fact that like it's not real and it's just it's in your in your brain and he had said he's like you know i've got a crew member that will not watch any of the movies that we produce but he works on set with them but he won't watch them because of that and um that was just like a really cool moment like a really personal like uh you know because you do these interviews and you talk about the new music and you talk about the new album and the tours and it kind of gets mundane, and so to have that uh, with him, especially Rob Zombie of all people, was was very cool. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was getting at because, like, w- another way of phrasing that question is, like, you mentioned, you know, so many of these interviews are just routine. Like, you're, they're, there's, they have something to promote. You have to touch on this. They have to touch on that, blah, blah, blah. And you just go through the motions, and then and, and then that's it. But 
those human moments where you you actually get to to see a little bit of who they are as a person. You know, those are those are I hope what what the yeah. person aims for, right? You know, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, we did um, Meltdown and I did an interview with Fieldy of Corn, uh, also a rock on the range. And um, again, like th- these people, like they just couldn't be nicer. Like I've never really dealt with any rock stars that have been rude or anything like that. Um, and Fieldy, we had interviewed him in like the shower of the locker room. Where, yeah, because there was there's so much going on and there's so much chaos and they had broken up the band. So, you know, Fieldy's doing interviews, uh, Monkey's doing interviews, Jonathan's doing interviews and we got to break everybody apart. And we walked in there and his suitcase was in there and it was like folded open and we had like laughed. And he's like, well, this is pretty much my room for the night. Like this is where I'm staying. This is all of my stuff and we're going to stand here in a shower. And it was just such an odd place to do it. But it couldn't have it couldn't have been better. Like it couldn't. We laughed about it, like, and to have a moment where I'm like, I'm laughing with Fieldy of Corn. Yeah. This is something else. And the acoustics, I'm sure, were great in the shower. Oh, yeah. super, <laughs> super fantastic, super fantastic. So um, that one was memorable. Um, I got to interview Jonathan Davis uh, separately. Uh, this was two summers ago. I personally got to interview him. His son um, is type 1 diabetic. So I'm type 1 diabetic. I have been since uh, I was 13. And so uh, we started doing a fundraiser every year for JDRF, um, and I had reached out to the label like, hey, like I know that he's really involved in this. Would he mind sitting down and not talking about music and not talking about any of that and talking to me about you know, diabetes and being a parent? Because um, for, my, for my parents, you know, it's different. Like I'm the one that's diabetic, but I'm a kid in their eyes, and especially being a kid growing up. And so it was really interesting to talk to him as the parent of a seven-year-old who's been diagnosed. And so we sat down and um, talked for probably like 15 minutes or so just about, you know, how you deal with it every day, like the problems that you have. He's on the road. You know, he can't be with his kid all the time. Um, And we got like emotional. Like we both like cried, like we hugged. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like uh, we videotaped the whole thing and uh, he autographed a guitar for us to auction off. And um, that one was like, like that one was really like very personal and super cool, and we got to go up on his tour bus and, you know, sit down with him and do that whole thing. And uh, like I said, it was a it's a personal thing, being able to talk to somebody that understands it and deals with diabetes and and gets that whole thing. And so that one definitely like that sticks out like forever in my brain. Like I will always remember that. Of all the people to have a moment with where you're holding each other, you know, yeah, over over some personal struggle, Jonathan right. Davis, and, and he was yeah. so open about it too. <laughs> like he, um, uh, well, because he's uh, done things with JDRF before, which is kind of how I found out about uh, him being involved in it. But sometimes people don't want to necessarily be open to the public about it, and yeah. and even for me, like I've had our listeners come up and say, hey, I'm type one or my sister is or my son is or and that's very cool of you to be so open about it. I mean, I have no issues, but I know other people do. And so for him to want to sit down and be like, yes, like, absolutely, let's talk about this and and, you know, make awareness of it. um, That affects me because it's been 17 years that I've I've been diabetic. So it was cool to to have that moment with him. And then, yeah, we hugged each other. It was precious. <laughs> well, so what you, you mentioned you're a wedding DJ on the side. Like, what uh, what is the rest of your life like? Like, I mean, what what else do you do besides the radio, um, if anything? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, um, the radio working at the radio station allows me to be involved in a lot of cool things in the city, um, like the resurgence of Detroit. Um, 
you know, I've, I've been a part of a lot of a lot of stuff. Like I got to see the uh, district Detroit, uh, the mock up. They had set up a, a mock basically. Um, it was like a like a figure, like a big, like the like size of this table. Like, yes, yeah. like a model. But then they had also set up uh, in Comerica Park um, what the suites would look like at the new arena. Um, so I got to go down and, and see that sort of stuff. Where was I going with this? What was the question? Uh, it was, it was what, <laughs> what, uh, what, what else do you do? Oh, besides outside. Radio? But yeah. I actually, because is, is that the new skyscraper they're building that you were just talking about? Is that no, that's new actually new. Um, I just saw the the groundwork for that a couple of weeks ago. So that's that's even newer than, you know, the, the this was prior to the arena being built. Oh, this is Little Caesars then. Yeah, okay. yeah, Little okay. Caesars. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so, yeah, so I don't know. I get to go to a lot of concerts. Like, I, I go to a lot of shows. Um, I hang out with my friends. I love to go golfing. Um, work takes up a lot of my time and I'm not like mad about that. But, um, like I said, like Friday, for example, um, you know, I'll be downtown at noon and I will probably not leave until midnight. Mm-hmm. And do I necessarily need to stay for the entire perfect circle show? No. I mean, I guess I don't, but why wouldn't I? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. like there's no, uh, there's no reason not to, like, this is what I get to do for a living. And, um, like, I mean, the number of shows that we've, my friends and I have gone to and been a part of, and it's kind of a weird thought because um, I am privileged to be able to go and do that. And for a lot of people, like going to a concert, you go to one concert a year, I go to easily 60. And that's, uh, you know, record labels saying, hey, this band is opening up. We want you to hear them. We want you guys to play them. Go check them out live and see how they are. And, you know, there was a show last week that I went to see the very opening act and left before the headliner came on because I was like, well, I've seen them a couple of times and I got to go. I have <laughs> to ask to who, who was it? The headliner. Oh, well, was, the, the, the opening band. Uh, the the whole Dose. Show. Uh, it was The, the dose. dose, which is um, two dudes. Uh, they're very grunge-like. They're younger. They're probably in their early 20s. Um, kind of have some similarities to like Alice in Chains or like a Nirvana vibe. They're young and I think that they've got uh, room to grow. But it was kind of like a punk like 2000s emo punk sort of show. So um, I forget who else. Knuckle Puck was on the bill. I've heard of them, yeah. Um, that, that, can't forget that name. Everybody's seen the Mighty Ducks. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sleeping with Sirens and then Good Charlotte was the headliner oh, okay, okay. that night. Which I And I, I loved Good Charlotte in high school, but I've also seen them a couple of times and it was raining and it was cold out and I was like, eh, uh, I'm going to be down here like in two days, so I'm going to go home. So, um, So yeah, so that's... I guess I spend a lot of time doing radio, which I love. I golf. I play softball in the summer. Um, hang out with my friends. Hang out with my cat. Chill. You there know? you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, you mentioned you go to like 60 concerts a year, and it's interesting because when you have that many, you know, people who do only one concert a year, that, that concert really sticks out in their mind, right? And whether right. it's a good experience or a bad one, it's the only one. Like you – run the gambit, you know, so you have some really awesome shows and you have ones where you're like, I need to get the hell out of here now, yeah. right? You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, this is not, it's another day at work, right? Right. Um, so uh, this is such a cliche question, but like, what's the best concert you've ever been to? Like, d- just that you walked out of and you're like, oh my God. And, and before you answer, I can, I want to give you, just tell you where I'm coming from with this. I saw Clutch a couple weeks ago. Yeah. They are the best live rock band I have ever seen. They, I will never miss them when they come to town. 
they really accentuate, you know, the fact that in order for you to really appreciate rock music, you have to see it live. Not even you can't not listening to a live recording. You have to be in the room while the band right. is playing. It, it, the vibe does not get replicated on any type of recording. Um, and that's why I think like Jimi Hendrix and The Doors and all, you listen to the recordings, you're like, this is good, but it, I'm not feeling the spirituality that they say it should be. Right. Feeling. It's because you had to see them live. Like right. that was a, listening to Janis Joplin shriek yeah. must have been insane. Right. So, uh, you know, I saw Clutch and I, they, they walk off stage and it's just like you're you're all sweaty and, you know, it, it's it's a great feeling. And it's like you just worked out or something. Yeah. And uh, so did, what show – in your mind, like, gave you that feeling where you walked away and you're like, oh, my God, what just – that was like – I completely lost myself in that moment. Um, God, I don't know. I Like, I'm just trying to, like, go through, like, the Rolodex of shows, like, just this year. Um, Tool. Oh, hell yeah. Tool, for yep, sure. Yep. Um, I've seen them three times and uh, they always put on a fantastic show. Are you interviewing Maynard this, this weekend? No. No? Oh, damn it. I was going to say, get <laughs> – Tell them to get their ass on that, you know, the next time. We went to Pluto before Tool, in between, you know, when Tool's released an album. Yeah. Like, I mean, it took us, took them longer to uh, release an album than it took us to get to Pluto. Yeah. So. Um, no, no, I'm not. I did get to interview uh, Billy Howardell of oh. A Perfect Circle um, earlier this year. Um, and he's, he's, he was super cool. Uh, and, it, and it's Tool such a, they're such like an anomaly they really of are. like rock music, and supposedly they're working on new stuff. We'll keep our fingers crossed for all the Tool fans out there. But um, that show is always great because uh, I think Tool fans like Tool fans are fans. Like mm-hmm. no one goes to a Tool show to say like, oh, I've never really heard of this band. I'm just gonna go to go see them. Like no fans love them, and that's like a vibe thing. Like when you see them and the vibe in the whole uh, arena or amphitheater or wherever you are is just uh, it's so great. Um, and I think that adds to your experience of a show. Um, personally, like Blink-182 is like one of my, you know, teenage bands. I've seen them a handful of times and um, like that was always great. Uh, Prophets of Rage. So I'm a huge Rage Against the Machine fan, but I've never, you know, I never got to see them. Um, and Prophets of Rage, when they first formed, uh, I believe it was 2016 was when they really started. And I also really love Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. So I've got that going on. And so when Prophets of Rage came, that was a weird week because I saw Blink-182, Prophets of Rage, and Black Sabbath all in, with like, one after another. Um, but Prophets of Rage was awesome. Like, that was, uh, that was definitely one of those shows that I was like, wow, like, I can't believe that that was as much fun as it was. Like, I didn't expect it, I guess because of, because it is Rage Against the Machine, and I've seen Tom Morello before when he's done some solo stuff. Um, but it was like a party, especially because Public Enemy was there. And so I love that show being like, that was awesome. Like that was, that was a cool show. Not, not expecting anything really, really helps. I found the first time I saw Clutch, I had never really heard of them. Yeah. And completely blown. The first time I saw Perfect Circle, I had never, I didn't, I knew who they were, but I didn't really look into it. And I walked away. I was like, oh my God, give take my money. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. The Glorious Sons, um, and they're, they're obviously a bit newer, but, um, those guys are they're great. They're so good. And um, they've got such a good energy and their fans really love them. So I've seen them now two or three times. And the last time they were in town, um, I'm friends with their label rep. So uh, I met him for a drink and then the band kind of like trickled into the bar. And it was very one of those unexpected like, oh, I didn't expect them all to show up. 
And we ended up hanging out like all night and going over to the bar by St. Andrews. And um, it was one of those personal experiences where, you know, they're Canadian. So like you have like a million things that you can talk about, even though it's just across the street for us. But it's still a different country. And um, it was very cool to like not talk about music and not talk about the industry and just be like, we're just like friends, like hanging out. And the show was awesome. And I love you guys, but I don't want to be like, I don't want to like fangirl out. Right, um, right. But and they were cool to to hang out and just uh, to be there and, and have drinks with us and laugh. Like I haven't laughed that hard in so long talking about being kids and like jobs that we had and goofy stuff that would happen at the grocery store and you know, and I've got so many memories from Farmer Jack. We could talk about that forever. Definitely. And I was going to say, like, that's the uh, that's the human thing. Like I, was, I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, like, that, yeah. that's what you remember, right? Yeah. So uh, what do you remember from Farmer Jack? Then The name Vitaly Picar, took, I can picture his face now. When he first saw it, I was like, there was a teacher yeah, named Vitaly. He was, uh, he yeah, he was tall. He had glasses. glasses. Yeah. yeah, I had the biggest crush on him when we when I first started working there. Um, and then we just kind of, like, became friends uh because he was, I think, a couple years older than me. And so, um, God, the grocery store. Like, remember, like, the shopping carts? They'd be, like, way down the strip mall. And, like, that was – and I actually – I'm making, like, a stance right now. There's so many people. It's 2018, and so many people get so angry, right, about people that don't return their shopping carts to the cart corral, right? Mm-hmm. And I disagree, I will take that shopping cart and take it all the way down to seven storefronts over. You know why? Because that 15-year-old kid gets to leave the grocery store and go for a walk. You get to go. I like never I loved that. Like I loved like way. leave as many shopping carts down by Powerhouse Gym. Remember the Powerhouse was over yeah, there. Yeah. Leave them all. I don't care. Take them and leave them because now I have to take like my day is going by faster cuz I got to go walk all that way. I got to bring them all the way back. And so unless you've ever gathered shopping carts from a grocery store, I don't think you are allowed to talk about it. You know, I never I wish I would have thought of that because I would have I would have been going to the McDonald's down there. I would oh, have yeah. been taking breaks constantly. I don't think I ever I ever once took advantage of that. Oh, I did. That was my favorite thing ever. I was like, oh, you need someone to do carts. I'm on it. See ya. I'll be outside. <laughs> Love it. Wanted I, to be outside. I do remember one time. You remember Joe? Uh, I don't Joe Honan. Yes. He, uh, he uh, me and him uh, put shopping carts. It was really late at night. We were closing and uh, it was just me and Joe and the one, one cashier, Justin Wilk. And yeah, Justin. And, uh, <laughs> and Joe and I put surrounded uh, Justin's car with carts. And I yes. believe we even got one on top of his roof. We flipped it upside down and put it. And I remember uh, he just came out and looked at it and, and like turned around and like, Leaned on his car and started smoking. He wasn't even. He's like, I'm going to take a break before I, yeah. before I, t- I get rid of all these carts and I can leave. Yeah, I'll never forget. Um, I was pulling them all out of the corral thing, and I probably had like 15 of them lined up. Uh, and this woman had backed out of. She didn't even look. Like that's how you die. That's why you're not allowed. Like I don't think these kids are. Like I used to wear headphones. I don't think they're allowed to anymore. They have to wear the vest, which I think towards the end of my career at Farmer Jack, they made everyone wear the vest. But back then, you didn't. You didn't have to. Like you didn't think about it. And this woman backed into all of these shopping carts and knocked them all over. Like she drove right into them intentionally. No, I think she wasn't looking. Like she just wasn't paying attention, and she backed into them. And I was standing right there, and I was like. Okay, I'm gonna go inside now. Like yeah. you can deal with this. Like, wow, you're a little ignorant. Like that's what the mirrors are for. Like <laughs> you're in a parking lot. Maybe don't run things over. What was that your first job? Yeah, that was like my first real job. I I babysat. You know, as like a young 
teenager. Um, I mean, I started working at Farmer Jack when I was 14. That's right. Jason worked there, my brother. And so it was like a shoe-in. They they hired me, you know, got the little work permit signed from school. And um, and so, yeah, that was my first uh, real job. And that must have been right after you stopped skating too. So that was kind of, was that kind of your like way to like, I want to meet some new people. I want to get out. And, that was and my parents' things. way of saying, um, you are not going to sit in this house all summer long and do nothing. Uh, You're, Jason okay. works at Farmer Jack. You are going to get a job at go. Farmer Jack. And um, yeah, I just remember like hiding out. Like there were certain places of the store that you could hide out where there weren't like security cameras. And I remember getting written up twice for horseplay behind the uh, service counter. Um, that happened a couple of times. There was like a certain angle in the bottle room you could sit where like the camera was. Right in the corner. Sit, right in the yeah, corner. Right in the yes. corner. Right at, but like almost behind the door there. Yeah. That was another thing that I didn't hate doing either was the bottles because it just got me like away from all of the – the people, yeah. Well, know? it was it was strangely satisfying too. Especially the there was a, a conveyor that the I don't know how they do it now, but in our day the, they had a conveyor. The glass bottles would come down mm-hmm. on a new conveyor, and then you would have to sort them into the bins. Yeah, and I would smash every single one. Oh, it of made course. the bins so much heavier. But it was so satisfying. It was. It was. A, and I remember one time Paul, who was like the second. Uh, most senior manager yes. came in and he told me this really elaborate story of how this woman that he had worked with had like she wasn't even doing what I was doing but like she was just in front of a conveyor and a bottle had fallen over and rolled and uh, smashed and one of the pieces had gone into her eye and she had lost her eyesight because and I remember he's dead serious telling me this and I'm like okay you know like, what am I, <laughs> right like I'm thinking like I'm not gonna stop doing this right I'm know? 16 like yeah. I don't but in like in hindsight like now that I'm in my 30s and I'm like I'm very safety first with everything that I do like yeah no that seems like a bad idea we probably shouldn't have been breaking all those bottles well but. those things man we would stack those bins and then we'd have to take them from the front of the store to the back of the store and those yep. things were so damn heavy and, and I remember and then once we were back there you had to sort them into the, the bigger bins and then you would stack <laughs> yeah. the bigger bins those See, things that's like the things that people don't think about like yeah. it's the same thing with like everything in life like they think it just happens like a band just shows up to a venue and they're gonna play a show like no, like it doesn't happen like that. Like you're not just going to return your stupid bottles and it's just you get your deposit and that's the end of it. Like they disappear like no. And it's like 16 year old kids that are dealing with all of this and we don't care. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, it really is. If I had if I really wanted to like think about all that different stuff, it would it really would drive you insane. Right. Because like, I mean, I, I work in the auto industry and I can tell you like. Uh, it's amazing that cars even get built because of how thrown together everything is and just how like just get it out, just get it out, go, right. go, 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 you know. So, um, so yeah, but I, I'm just so shocked that not once. There were many, many, many close calls where – because you had you'd have what the hell pallet jacks? Yeah, you'd have those. These bins were like the size of the ones the bins that we would sort. They were the, like uh, six by six foot. Five yeah, they by were five. huge. Yeah. yeah, they were. I'm trying to like they were they were almost like the size of a small car. Like they were yeah. they were pretty like about the size of a mini actually. Yeah, <laughs> they were comparable to a mini, and uh, and so we would have to stack these things up to the ceiling, and it was uh, I remember several times you know. I, we're really lucky none of those things toppled right? over. I think they might have once or twice, but I don't have any particular – I think because nobody got injured. I do remember one time uh, a friend of mine – because I started working there when I was – how old was I? 15. Okay. Um, and uh, I got a job with two other friends of mine and uh, and one of them was a rather reckless fellow. And, uh, they had these sort of racks that you would hang on the front of the bin yes. like, so you could dump the – you put the other bin on there and then lift it up. Lift and it, it yeah. Dump. Dump into the, the bigger so it bin. was supposed to help. Yeah, and I remember <laughs> Don was crawling on the 
he would crawl up onto the to the to the bins up to the ceiling. I don't know why he had no reason to be up there. He was, he was just bored. <laughs> And uh, he fell off one time and he gouged his back on one of those racks. Of course he did. And I remember him just with his hands, you know, trying to reach the wound. And he really, <laughs> he really got himself. It was, it was not good. But, uh, but yeah, so that was, that's the only real injury I can think of though. Nobody ever got uh, crushed by anything or, you know, no, obviously no. otherwise it would have been. Yeah, no, story, I guess but. we were, we were lucky, but um yeah, I just remember horseplay behind the service counter, horseplay in the dairy aisle. <laughs> How long were you there then? Because you, I left in the summer of 2003. That was the last time. I was only there for about a year and a half maybe. I was there for about three years. So I quit um, right after I had graduated high school, so uh, 05. And I had had another job. Um, I had gotten a job working at Max and Irma. So for a while there, I was working both jobs. I was still only 17 because uh, I had a, a late birthday. So I graduated high school when I was 17. And um, and then I like kind of like realized that I, I didn't enjoy it at the old uh, grocery store. Yeah. And I was like, Time why am on. I? Yeah. Like, why am I still here if I don't want to be here? And I'm young and I've got this other job and my friends are moving away. So who cares? You know, and I I, I quit. And so, yeah, so I was there for about uh, three years. But, I mean, I made a friend. I mean, people that I still talk to, like we stay in touch, like on social media and stuff that, you know, I mean, we all went to high school together. So, um, you know, so people that I still talk to and at Max and Irma's, uh, you know, people that I met there, like one of the girls, like to this day, like we're still best friends. And so um, and they were super cool because they knew when I started interning at the radio station that. You know, it was they were on like the kind of the back burner, but they let me come back from Central and keep a job there. And then I just kind of stopped showing up and they didn't really question it. They were like, get it, girl, like mm-hmm. do your thing and, and dedicate your time to that. And it worked out. This so. is way more important than uh, than anything going on here, right? Yeah, so. I suppose. I don't know. I I mean, uh, I was very poor for all of my early 20s and late teens and still to this day, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's – welcome to America. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. But, um, I mean, yeah, you, you said you, you left in 05, right? Or right yeah. after 05. And, I mean, it was two years later you started interning. So you were already yeah. – that really is not that long. It seems like a long time. Two years is a long time when you're 19. Yes. Or, or 17. But, right. Uh, but, I mean, looking back on it now, it's like that was, that was pretty damn quick. So, yeah, it's crazy that um, – because uh, 2017 then would have been my 10 year anniversary at the station, and um, and now I'm creeping up on uh, 12 years, and uh, it's been a wild decade. Like it's so it's it's been a lot of like a hard work, dedication. I love it. It's had its ups and downs. There's been you know crazy things that have happened, but um, at the end of the day, I don't know what else I would be doing. I love my job. I'm dedicated to it. But yeah, that decade flew by. But and so it's like flashbacks of all, you know, like you ask about like concerts and like there's memorable things from like this show to that show or whatever. But um, it just all blurs together. It kind of it kind of does. Um, And I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like I love I love what I do. I love being able to show up to a show and know that I have a schedule and we're not going to follow that schedule. But I have it anyways, just to be prepared (laughs) Just in case. Um, But I kind of like I like I said, like I thrive on that and I enjoy it and I genuinely enjoy um when our listeners get to do something that they, you know, they don't do every day. Like this is my job is to bring you guys backstage and do this and have you meet this person and have like give you that experience and to like see how excited they get and see how happy they are and how appreciative they are of that. Like kind of validates everything, like all the hard work that we put into it. Um, we had done Riff Fest uh, last summer, uh, 2017, 
And we had this big like promo where it was like if you wear the the bandanas that we gave away like all summer long, if you wear them, uh, you could win stuff. So you can win prizes and gift cards and you might win a meet and greet with a band. And uh, one of our meet and greets was kind of early in the afternoon and all of our winners didn't show up. And you never want to like go up to a band and say like, OK, we set up a meet and greet for 20 people, but six of them showed up. Mm. You know, like that, it doesn't look That's good. That's a spinal tap moment right there. Right, yeah. right. And so um, because it was early in the afternoon, I don't think everyone could have gotten there in time. And it like dawned on me as it was like, you know, raining and I'm like, we need to be backstage and I need to bring and we only have six people and I'm supposed to have 20 people and 15 is one thing. Like I can go back there with 15, but six is unacceptable. And I just remember looking over and there was probably like four or five people like wearing the bandanas. And I was like, yes, like perfect. <laughs> like this is fantastic. Like do you guys want to meet Hailstorm? And they were like, what? And I was like, right now, do you want to go meet Hailstorm right now? And they were like, well, I guess like what do you mean? And I was like, well, you won. You're wearing the bandanas. You get to come backstage. Get in line. Let's go. And and for them it was like made such a shock and it made their day and they were so excited and to – to give that to them is – I enjoy that. Like I love that. I love that part of it. So it's cool. It's a wild job. <laughs> well, I, and I've said this before because I, whenever I have somebody on like that's my age that actually got to do what they wanted to do, it's nice to see that it can still happen You know, because yeah. a lot of people our age, you know, the, the path diverts or whatever. And, mm-hmm. But it's nice to see people that actually were able – you had a goal, you set out, and then you achieved it. And now here you are and you're living yeah. it. So. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, – yeah, that was the thing. Like I said, I wanted to be a you know a music director, and it's been a couple of years now. And um, that's what I thought after like the ten year anniversary. I was like, well, like what's in store for the next ten years? And um, I'm very blessed and fortunate that I get to do radio in the town that I grew up in. For a lot of people that work in radio, that's not the case. They move around, they go to different cities, and I work for a fantastic company that uh, supports me, and they support creativity, and they support all of that sort of stuff, and. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's what's in store for the next ten. I'm just here for the ride, and you know, if it if it flops and there's and it ends at some point because of something, like my twenties were awesome. Yeah, but, well, and then you, you roll with it, right? Yeah. Like you just like you said. Yeah, so. I mean, I've worked very hard, and I don't foresee that being like the outcome. But um, it's hard to predict. It's such an unpredictable uh, industry, and um, at the end of the day, I can look back on the last twelve years and say like. That was lit. Like, that was awesome. <laughs> so, well, uh, believe it or not, we were actually at the uh, top of the hour here. So, we're going to wrap it up. That was do you have quick. Any, yeah, I know uh, it always is, right? Yeah. Um, do, you, uh, do you have anything that you want to uh, mention or promote or anything like that? Uh, social media? Anything? Oh, yeah, yeah. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, On Air Jade, uh, Jade on the radio on the old Instagram, and uh, Jade on WRIF on Facebook. And, um, we do the Mark and Andy show Saturday mornings, 9 a.m., which is always uh, a hoot. It is a hoot because I love those guys. And uh, it's kind of like the Seinfeld of radio. We kind of joke in that regard that um, it's not necessarily a show about nothing, but it kind of is because it's about our lives and it's just relatable sort of stuff. So tune in on Saturdays. We turn it into a podcast. You can download it on our website, uh, WRAF.com. And Thank you to everyone for their support, and thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. It's good to see you again after yeah. 16 years. I know, was, right? So. Yeah, you hit me up. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we did work at Farmer Jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I will be back next week. Uh, comedian Ken Evans will be joining me. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at American Winer. Uh, and, um, yeah, that's about it. That's about it for me, too. So. <laughs> 
Thanks again for coming on, Jade. It's great Absolutely. to talk to you. And uh, I will be back next week. This has been American Winer on podcastdetroit.com.